Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is Andrew Cavado. Andrew is the founder and managing director of Growth by Science, and he is on the leading edge of that, let's call it the confluence, Andrew, of the advertising industry, science, and measurement and really, really doing some cutting edge stuff. They work with B2C brands. They work sort of agnostically across the industry with the ed tech platforms and social media players. Uh, the business is just over 10 years old. Uh, Andrew's got an incredible body of work behind him. And we're gonna talk a lot about what's going on now at Growth by Science and also sort of your journey to get there. Uh, so it's great to have you and a hearty welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Matt. Really, really great to be here. Excited to, to be talking all things ads and measurement with you today. Fantastic. So, a Andrew, I, when people talk about you and we are crack great minds, research team uh, has uh, done a stellar job as they always do. You know, there are people who are uh, innovators. There are people who are great managers and there are people who are great builders. And the word builder seems to be most applicable to you. Uh, I'd love to talk about where that comes from, if I've got that right, of course, and go back to young Andrew, you know, when you were growing up in uh, Toronto, one of my favorite cities, you know, were you one of these kids who worked? Were you one of these kids who was, you know, home? I think you're sort of in between you know, my age and a young gaming age, uh, I was not a gamer at all, but I did have a chemistry set, Andrew, and I was not very good <laughs> at it at all. I tried to make things blow up or smoke and I only had mild success, but I'd love to talk about that DNA characteristic as a builder. Yeah, for sure. I, I think you nailed it. I, I would, I would certainly categorize myself as a builder. And I think if you were to talk to my close friends and family, they'd, they'd echo that sentiment, you know, grow, growing up, uh, I also had a chemistry set, which I absolutely destroyed. There's some, you know, burn marks in the ceiling in my parents' home still from that. Uh, I was obsessed with with Lego, building all kinds of crazy stuff, taking lawnmower engines apart, uh, much to the chagrin of of my my folks when I couldn't put them back together. But yeah, I definitely, I've always been curious at the inner workings of of, of technology, of, of machinery, and. You know, I got, uh, actually, my mom used to work at IBM, you know, very, very early IBM days. And and so we we had a, a computer, you know, kind of one of those old school computers with the the, the five and a half inch floppy disks that, that you know, you'd, uh, you'd light up and could do kind of some basic programming and stuff on in basic or whatever. Uh, and I, I got started with that pretty early. Um, and so I've always been kind of, I've always had a propensity to, to tinkering and and messing around with technology. So I think it's it's kind of apt that I've, I've sort of fallen into the career that I've fallen into. Uh, I love that. And let's talk a little about Toronto, such a, a great, great city. Uh, there's a very big meeting, by the way, next year. One of the groups that we are very close with is the World Federation of Advertisers. And every year they have their annual Global Marketer Week. Last year it was in Istanbul. The year before it was in Athens. Next year it'll be in Toronto. And uh, what a wonderful city. My grandfather's sister, Anna, lived there. And I have very fond memories of going to Bathurst Street to visit her. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of great, great people in our industry whose accomplishment, you know, are worldwide come from Toronto. Toronto's awesome. I feel really grateful to have 
uh, grown up there and I definitely had an awesome childhood there. I actually also went to University of Toronto um, for, for my undergrad in engineering and, and then later for my master's in finance. Uh, so I've, I've got a lot of great memories. Uh, most of my family is still back there. We actually just went to visit them a couple of weeks ago and, and it was, you know, hadn't been there in a long time. Um, so it was really good to, to be back. But uh, yeah, Toronto's a great town, great, great media town too. I, you know, I got started working in, in tech and in ad tech in, in Toronto. And, you know, it's, it, it is kind of a jumping off point to, uh, you know, the connection to the U.S. and globally for the media industry for Canada. Uh, fantastic stuff. And I also note another little nugget, our crack team uncovered, that you were a boxer? <laughs> I was a boxer, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've always loved uh, loved kind of intense sports and boxing sort of ticked, uh, ticked the, the boxes, no pun intended for me. And uh, until until my own box got ticked pretty badly and I got a, a really nasty concussion and uh, I was unable to, to do that uh, anymore. But you know, it was, it's fun. It's a great workout. I think, you know, even, even if you don't spar and you're not, you're doing it just kind of on a punching bag, it's, it's a really great way to keep the mind and body focused. And, and I think it's a, it's a fantastic base for, for a lot of different athletic endeavors. So uh, I definitely recommend if, if somebody's uh, out there and hasn't tried it, you should try it out. You don't have to, you don't have to do it in a contact contact capacity. Yeah. This is a, this is a great, one of those, you know, contemporary exercise places rumble. Yeah. And it's a boxing workout. It's five rounds on the bag and five rounds doing like boot campy, you know, weight, you know, type of stuff. And when I do it, I literally crawl out of there after 45 oh, yeah. minutes. It's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Very humbling, very humbling sport, even, even without the physical contact. But, uh, you know, they say everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face and, you know, Never does that ring more true when you actually do get punched in the face. Exactly right, and, <laughs> and quite quite literally. Uh, and your background's interesting, Andrew. Sort of that blend of finance and engineering—that's um, not a common duo. Yeah, uh, it's it's you know I'm not sure what what sort of the twists and turns happened early on, but you know I, I always with the tinkering and the building, you know I I definitely felt that engineering was was what I wanted to do. Um, and so I was happy I did I did the program that I did. It was a very challenging program at, at the University of Toronto, uh, engineering science, if, if anyone out there is, is familiar with it, but a uh, great program. Uh, I really feel like going through that, which was also a very humbling program, uh, I felt like like I could tackle any challenge after having gone through that. And, and really, even to this day, I will say, I will say it's probably one of the hardest things I've, I've had to do is, was get through the engineering science program at U of T. Um, and, and so I, you know, I started working in, in analytics, I didn't really work in, in sort of technical on the technical aspects of engineering, but worked in sort of marketing analytics, uh, and, and market research as, as sort of my first job at a college. Um, and, and a lot of my clients at the time were these kind of hedge fund guys. And I got uh, very enamored with their sort of swagger and, and attitude that they brought to the table. And I thought, Hey, that's pretty cool. I, maybe I should try to try my hand at that. Uh, and so I went and I did the, uh, I did the master's program, sort of an executive kind of evenings and weekends type program um, at Rotman School of Management. Uh, great program, uh, a lot of great memories, met a lot of great people there. But one of the big takeaways that I took from that was that finance was not for me. Uh, it was it was not something that that I wanted to to do full time. But I have a, a really great appreciation going through that that finance program, giving an appreciation for, you know, the way that 
that you know kind of the underpinnings of the economy sort of work from a financial perspective and that and that i think was a great perspective but definitely cemented my uh desire to not work in that industry uh funny enough i ended up kind of working in that industry later on and sort of reaffirmed my original suspicions that uh that wasn't the place for me to be uh you know uh ads is ads is certainly it gives you i would say the the best of finance in terms of the intellectual challenges that are faced there minus a lot of kind of the downsides and, and some of the, the attitude that kind of goes on in that space. Gotcha. No, it's a great, great, uh, you know, foundation for what you've built and are building at growth by science. So you've worked at some of the real bellwether companies, uh, in our industry. I know you way back when we'll go back to millennium research group in the three years you spent there, but you've worked at Google, you've worked at Snap, you worked at Facebook, you worked at Netflix. These are uh, the creme de la creme of our industry. Did you imagine when you were starting out that you would end up having tenures at all of those incredibly important seminal players in the digital economy? You know, I never thought that my career would have taken that trajectory, not in a million years. Uh, I feel very, very fortunate to to have had the, the the path and the progression that I that I had. You know, I credit a lot of that to just you know good timing, good fortune um, happening ha- happening to to be in uh, you know in, in an analytical or having I would say an analytical mind, and there being this strong need for that skill set. Uh, at the time when I was kind of growing at the right places in my career. So, you know, I ended up working. My first job in, in tech was at a company called Kijiji, uh, which was at the time, it's, it's since changed hands a number of times, but at the time it was an eBay startup founded by eBay uh, in, in Canada. It was sort of the Craigslist of Canada. Um, and, you know, I remember I showed up, I showed up to my interview wearing a suit and tie because that was kind of, you know, the experience I had prior to that. And the interview went great. My my boss at the time said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll censor the expletive here, but he said, you know, next time don't wear that blank suit because people are going to think we're getting audited and it's going to freak us out. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, it was it was kind of you know love at first uh, at first first uh, contact. Uh, you know, when I saw the kind of culture of tech, it was sort of more freewheeling. You know, a lot of creativity. Met a lot of great friends at, at that uh, at that company. And, a lot of really, really great experiences there. So eBay was in Toronto as Google was also in Toronto for you. Yep. Yep. And, you know, the, the media and digital marketing community is pretty small in, in Toronto. I think it's small everywhere, really, but it's especially small and a little incestuous in, in Toronto. Uh, and, and so I was lucky enough to uh, to get referred to a job over at Google um, by somebody that I worked with and that, you know, you know worked with in, in the context of eBay and Google. Um, and had a, had a great time there too. It was really, you know, Google, the pace was very different. A lot of travel for me across the country, you know, to, to California. It's kind of when I started getting my first taste of, of real Silicon Valley and, and you know, what, what was going on, you know, you know in the Bay Area and whatnot. Um, really fell in love with it. And, you know, uh, sort of uh, a year and a half into it, uh, I got reached out to by a recruiter for Facebook and, People at the time, this was, you know, 2013, uh, Facebook was, you know, popular in the zeitgeist for sure, but it was unclear as to the long-term potential of the company. And 
lot of people said, hey, it's pretty risky for you to, to leave Toronto, you know, my family included. Are you sure you want to do this? You're working at Google. It's a fantastic company. You've only been there a year and a half. Why don't you, you know, see if you can have a longer career. But, you know, something about it just just really felt right. And uh, and and I, you know, I went, I took the job, moved, moved across the 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 continent. Um and uh, and took that risk and you know didn't know anybody in, in really in San Francisco at the time. Um, but but it was it was awesome. Uh, you know, within two weeks, <laughs> within two weeks of working at Facebook, I met my wife. And you know, we started we started dating while we were both working together there. And 10 years after that, we're we're married with two kids. Fantastic story. So let's let's juxtapose a few things. Uh, I want to talk about uh, culture in our industry in Toronto relative to yeah. California. And, uh, and I know now you're in, uh, on the East coast, uh, but also juxtapose the work you did building ad products at Google that were about measurement and ROI. Uh, a lot of that's at the heart of, of what you're doing now at growth by science. Talk about how though that early experience in Google and Toronto yeah. in that measurement space uh, really helped fuel where you are today, uh, 10, 11 years in at Growth by Science. Re really interesting kind of progression because when I worked at, at Google, this was sort of in the heyday of, of you know, multi-touch attribution and, and sort of you know, there were a lot of companies kind of trying to crack this idea of measurement. It was becoming a, a lot more at the forefront of, of people's minds as digital investments were growing and growing and growing. But but I would say we were still at that time far from, from looking at it in a truly scientific way. Uh, and I had no a priori experience in digital marketing when I worked at Google, just a smattering uh, of some things, you know, that I, that I looked at uh, while I was at, at eBay. But but, you know, I really didn't have, I wasn't sort of jaded. I wasn't like really deep in the weeds to have a preconceived notion of what uh, marketing analytics was was like. The only thing I had was a product design course and, and some statistical courses that I had taken in my engineering degree. And it was all about design experiments, A-B testing. And I thought, well, of course, this is how you should do it. And it turned out nobody was really doing it that way at the time. And it was sort of like a really edge case kind of fringe concept back in, you know, whatever it was, 2012, that that uh, that you, you know, hey, have a holdout group, have a design experiment. Uh, you know, that wasn't something that was that was very popular. Um, and so one of the interesting things about moving to Facebook into the group that I did is that they were really, I believe, uh, at the time, at the forefront of ads measurement um, by necessity. You know, they, they were they were kind of just getting getting thrashed in, in media budgets because uh, they weren't showing up really well on a last click basis on, you know, in the traditional sort of attribution basis. And so Facebook really needed to rethink how do they represent themselves from an analytical perspective? And so there was a, there was a strategic motivation to build these novel measurement products that would take the idea of, hey, I saw an ad and then I converted and therefore you should credit that that ad exposure for the conversion that really turned that on its head and started looking at it from a scientific perspective. And so I was, I was really sort of at the, at the heart and worked very closely with the, the product folks and the, and the product marketing folks that were building this, this tooling around uh, lift testing and incrementality testing. And, and I, you know, to me, that was, that had so many great implications 
um, you know, and, and I'll take a little bit of a tangent here because I think it's I think it's really worth diving into. But uh, I, I really genuinely believe that the way that ads are measured and ads measurement methodologies are an unsung hero of the economy. They're a hidden cornerstone of the actual literal overall economy. And the reason I say that is because if you think of advertising, I, I, this is on, on my website. I, I've said this about people a lot of times over the years. I love it. I think ads are the motor oil of the economy. You know, they help connect supply to demand. They 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 help commerce to to kind of work more efficiently. Um, you know, they they really just help the whole machine run. If you think about it, without ads, you've got great products, especially in a world where things are disjointed and connected primarily over the internet. It's it's not you're not going to have this this rich network of hey I saw this product from you know across the globe that that interests me and therefore I'm going to buy it that just doesn't exist without ads and now if you don't measure the ads correctly then that whole system breaks down becomes less efficient that you don't end up advertisers don't end up spending on the right channels in the right capacity and and so the 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 way that we measure ads. Is is really I genuinely believe has an uh, an impact, a direct impact on GDP, and and you know that's why this whole idea of measuring them correctly that that really kind of got fostered started when I was working at Google and really took off when I moved to Facebook and, and started you know developing some of those more more sophisticated techniques. That's why I kind of fell in love with the space, and there's just some inherent intellectual uh, curiosities and challenges that are faced there, but. But if if they're solved, it just has these macro impacts that I think are you know, not a lot of people have, have sort of made that connection. Yeah, it's a it's a great connection. I and I like that notion of sort of the underlying economic importance of the industry. When we launched Advertising Week back in two thousand four, one of the very first things we did was we went to one of the big accounting firms. I think it was KPMG. And we did an economic impact study of what the business meant to the New York City economy. And bear in mind, Andrew, that was before, you know, mm -hmm. Facebook was even a business. Mm -hmm. You know, that was before, you know, Google owned most of, you know, the lower west side, you know, where the Chelsea market is in that area yeah. and all those buildings and the pier and, you know, everything else that they've done. So stratospheric growth in the digital side, some contraction, you know, some of the old media, a lot of the magazine, you know, companies, some of them are gone completely. The newspaper business is certainly less robust. Um, but overall, I'm sure growth because of digital growth and then 20 some odd years ago was about just under 20 cents out of every dollar in the New York City economy was through the advertising and media industry. Um, and I think, you're right, I think you're right. And the industry does a poor job overall of uh pounding its own chest that way maybe because they're worried and focused properly on you know enhancing the image of the clients uh <laughs> but you know the image of the industry is uh, certainly a bellwether uh, of the economy is very important as well yeah i i couldn't agree more and you know i think the events like like advertising week are are, are so important to all of us i know it's coming up soon uh, I unfortunately will not will not be able to be there, but my wife's definitely going to be there, and a lot of my friends and peers are going to be there. I think it's uh, it's it's always an exciting time to to meet folks in the industry. And, well, and listen, inevitably at some point, Andrew, we will lift the ban, and you can come back. 
I hope so. I really do. <laughs> All right. So uh, you also spent some time at Netflix, and that was before there was an ad-supported, well before there was an ad-supported yes. version of Netflix. There's one question I've been dying to get an answer to, and I can never uh, find someone, but maybe it's you, Andrew. You know, as we all know, and I think they just ended the DVD business literally a few weeks ago after all these years and the red envelopes. I believe that business finally just wound down. I did not know, I will admit to you, that it was still a business at all uh, until I read that it was winding down. Do you think they knew way back when what it would become? That's a, that's a tough question. Um, but I know I've heard Reed Hastings uh, tell the story of that pivot to uh, you know to the this online streaming a uh, number of times. I think they knew it was going to be big. I didn't think. I, I I think it's tough to to kind of say yeah they knew it was going to be a game changer, monumental, world changing. Uh, but it's a fantastic culture. I have to say, Netflix is one of the one of the most interesting companies that I've worked at um, in, in terms of the culture that that exists there. You know they've they've got this saying and I think it's I think it's available like anyone can download their culture doc. Um, but if, if you haven't done that, it's it's a it's an interesting read. But you know they always say, hey, we uh, we're not a family, we're a sports team, and it's a double edged sword. So you know you definitely want to feel that you're working with people that are you're close to, and there's obviously you know friendships, and in my case, even a, a, a spousal relationship that can develop out of working with your colleagues. Um, but but you know there's also you know, an interesting kind of pragmatism to, to, to being a sports team. And, and you can weirdly, you can get a lot of really interesting things done. So I think the reason, the reason I brought up the culture is the reason it has become as big as it has. It's, it goes beyond just product market fit and, and you know, the genius that, that they have in, in building out the, the, everything that they built out. But it definitely has to do with the culture that, uh, that they've espoused. And one of the big tenets that I have in Growth by Science is this idea of science it's in the name it's in the ethos of of what we're trying to do and how we approach our problems and i learned a lot of that from netflix you know they've got a, a an experimentation culture they test everything you know and and that doesn't mean that they get bogged down and and, and they're bureaucratic but they have an analytical approach to everything that they do and you know you, there are very few business decisions that are based on intuition or on you know, somebody's prior experience alone, there's there, you know, that can guide a strategy, but the strategies are always tested and they aggressively, um, you, know, you know, adjust, adjust their perspectives. Like I remember when I was there and I don't know if, I don't, I don't know if this was just keeping cards close to the chest, but the, the, the executive narrative was, we're never going to do an ads business. Never. <laughs> um, and then it was like, well, we're probably never going to do an ads business. It was a little bit softened, but I, I really genuinely don't think that back then they had a, a plan to do it. Maybe they did. And I was not privy to it, but, but I, I believe that, that it came about, uh, again, this is my opinion, but I believe that, that it came about through the regular Netflix, uh, you know, process of analyzing, assessing, reassessing prior opinions, you know, updating priors with with new information, and then you know, making a, a, a an intelligent uh, decision on a course of action based on that information. And and I mean, that's why as long as they keep that culture, I really think they're going to continue to be unstoppable. Yeah, no, they are an absolute uh, freight train, and we'll be uh, we'll see them on stage uh, at Advertising Week. It, you know, it, it's interesting. You 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 
made my head go to, uh, uh, you know, look at companies that have had success and evolved like Netflix and companies that were in the space earlier and disappeared. You know, Blockbuster is gone, right? We can go back to the earlier days of the web and brands like Alta Vista and Lycos and Prodigy. But, you know, we tend to romanticize things or, or believe that, you know, it's only the present that matters. But I guess in the history of American business and global business, you've had great brands come and go. Think about the early automotive brands, you know, Ford and Chrysler and Buick and a number of those survived. But, you know, so many did not survive, you know, the Packard and the Edsel and, you know, so many other different brands. I guess Edsel might have been a Ford, actually. But uh, the point you understand, Growth by Science seems to be a company that's built to last. Um, I'd love to talk about the origin story of Growth by Science and really dig in to what you've got cooking over there, because it's really extraordinary. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you, you know, I've been, I've been doing very part-time consulting for a long time you know, to the extent that it was permissible in the context of whatever I was doing full-time. Um, and I've always really, really enjoyed it. I, I really met some incredible companies and, 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 you know, met great, great friends and, and great colleagues uh, through those sort of advisory and consulting relationships that I had. And I always had in the back of my mind that, that, it, you know, that I was somehow, uh, I guess, shackled a little bit uh, in, in my consultation capabilities when I worked for one of the ad platforms and, and it's not that, you know, obviously I'm grateful for all the experiences I had at all the ad platforms and I learned a ton and, and, you know, uh, was able to influence, I think a lot of really great, great work on the advertiser side, but there is something to be said for being, you know, kind of agnostic of a platform and not have this tacit, Hey, I'm trying to help, you know, the ads business of insert ad platform X here. And so I always had this desire to, to, to kind of step back and, and be able to be truly objective and truly scientific uh, about my approach to, to growth and help advertisers in that context. And so, you know, I took a little detour from, from ads uh, over the last couple of years, worked at a, at a finance startup, a fintech startup. Um, and then, you know, that kind of round tripped and I found myself in a, in a situation where, um, you know, I was, I was able to, to really lean into my ad consulting uh, full time. And so I kind of said, you know what, I'm going to just do that. There's no time like the present to do that. And, and so I, I leaned into it and didn't really do a lot of, you know, heavy promoting or, um, or any kind of, um, you, you know, PR or anything like that. Obviously starting a little bit more of that now. Um, but I found that there was really an organic need and desire for, for people to, to, to hear from somebody who's kind of seen how the sausage has been made and it's less some of the big ad platforms, but isn't going to come with, with the, the dogma that, that typically exists out there in, um, in measurement land. And, and, you know, obviously now uh, measurement is very top of mind for a lot of marketers um, just in, in the context of the, uh, the changes that have happened on the privacy front. That's sort of upended a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the processes and methodologies that people have, taken for granted and, and leaned on for, you know, a decade plus. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of folks who are lost. Um, and I feel like, like what I'm bringing to the table, the feedback that I'm getting so far is that they find it refreshing. They, they're, they're able to, you know, on all, on all sides, on the ad platform side, 
on the on the growth marketer side, on the measurement platform side, you know, we're, we're able to work or I'm able to work with these folks to cut through, you know, the, the chaos and help everybody find a, a good path forward, whether it's a, a go-to-market strategy for a measurement platform that's doing smart measurement in, in a privacy-conscious way, or whether it's a, a B2C brand that, that wants to understand how to set up a growth program that's based in science, that's based in incrementality and not, you know, not sort of look at these different attribution numbers that are being thrown at them from platforms and whatnot and take it for granted. Um, and so it's, it's been very exciting. I, I see a lot of, a lot more potential. I've got a lot of, a lot of great ideas for, for the future as well. I've got, uh, you know, some product ideas that I'm batting around that I think will help accelerate the work that we're doing here. Uh, and I, I do think there are other verticals that, uh, that, that, you know, could really uh, use, use a hand in, in, you know, dissecting and digesting and understanding um, how to how to approach growth in a scientific capacity. Yeah, I love that story, Andrew. You'd be hard pressed to find an area that's getting more attention at the highest levels of our industry than cross-platform media and how to measure it. No one's really cracked that nope. code. It's a big area of focus for groups like the World Federation of Advertisers and the IAB. And, uh, you know, I got a, a call from a buddy of mine who just retired, Mark Howe, a great, great guy who was a very senior at Google over in the UK. Uh, they were on a committee, felt a little bit like the, what's that, roosters in the hen house? What's that, that, ex, that expression? I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. Fox in the hen house. There you go. I know I was, I was close. And uh, so I wasn't really sure about that. The rooster, works, rooster analogy works well too. So what's your take on where we are and uh, can we get there? So, so let me take a step back. What I believed would occur when Apple really went forward with with the privacy changes, sort of on the heels of a lot of regulatory changes across the world. What I thought would happen is that because all of those changes really broke the idea of a post-exposure attribution, right? So I saw an ad, I clicked on an ad, and then something happened, and that's how I assign credit. That's how I optimize. That's how all the ad platforms optimize. I thought breaking that would essentially be the death knell to dumb measurement. And I would consider all of that dumb measurement. <laughs> um, and, and, and so that didn't happen. You know, instead it's, it's sort of fractured the industry a little bit in a lot of different dimensions. Um, you've got some solutions that are kind of trying to, to keep the dream alive as it were of these, of these old, these kind of post-exposure uh, methodologies by doing things like clean rooms and, you know, conversion modeling and, and what I'm calling MTA 2.0, which is mostly probabilistic connections of the conversions to the exposure events. And I think, you know, there's a place for that. I'm not, you know, disparaging any of those solutions. There's definitely a place for that. But but I think, you know, it's, if people go all in to that, they're missing the bigger picture. And, and luckily there has been a bit of a, a you know, a, a boost to what I would consider more intelligent measurement methodologies. And that would be anything that's incrementality based. So it held hold out, test and control. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, fewer when you don't have user level data as we don't now, but there's still ways that it can be done. MMMs, 
uh, making a comeback, <laughs> kind of. Uh, you know, it's obviously applica the applications of, of MMM, uh, you know, media mix modeling has have been limited to kind of these bigger brands, old school kind of uh, kind of uh, uh, brands that, that have long, they're either super commoditized or a long sales cycle, et cetera. Um, now we're taking those those MMM models, making them agile, applying them to e-commerce. Um, and there's a number of companies that are out there working on this and trying to solve it. And then, you know, you've got the, the marriage of those two. You've got incrementality that is calibrating and informing MMM models. And I do think that that is is going to be a key pillar for for brands, um, you know, uh, when, when they're when they're thinking about how to measure their ad efficacy or, or measure their ads, they're really going to look at at that type of solution that exists. And there's a number of them out there. I think it remains to be seen if there's any clear winner or if there'll be some consolidation, as I believe there may be. Um, but for now, you know, I'm working with a number of folks in that space, and and what I'm trying to help them all find is is the the, the specific application of their solution, the, the way that they've put it together, the way that they're presenting the data, it's usually conducive to a particular vertical. And I do think that, that there's definitely room enough in that space for a similar solution, i.e. MMM plus incrementality, to be focused on the various verticals and the needs that, are, that exist out there. But, you know, measurements... Measurements getting, getting uh, it's to me, it's always been exciting. I don't know if a lot of people feel that way, but I, I think it's, it's actually becoming objectively exciting nowadays with, with just the way that the, the confusion, the chaos that's existing out there in the market. Well, out of chaos comes opportunity. And you have Couldn't been, agree more. You have been uh, on the front lines of this for a long time now. Uh, I love the growth by science story. Uh, and, uh, this is an awful lot of fun talking to you, Andrew. So, Likewise. so as we start to wrap, this is an area which is going to continue to accelerate, uh, as a priority for the industry, uh, perhaps order will come out of chaos at some point, but if we're doing this again in a year, Andrew, what do you think we're talking about in the measurement space? That's different from where Oof. we are right now. It's a good question. You know, I think I think in a year we'll see even more restrictions on um, on user level identifiers, and so the the same story that we will have now will be even more urgent, and there'll be I think a, a bigger chasm between the the haves and have nots when it comes to to data, which is concentrated in the big walled gardens, clean rooms are going to exist somewhere in that ecosystem. My opinion is, at least for now, the way the technology is, they're going to be more uh, focused on on big big partnerships, big data pools that they can link together and, and won't really be accessible to the average marketer. And and I, I hope to see continued advancement and, and continued scalability of those aggregate uh, uh, measurement solutions that kind of exist out there. Um, so the MMM informed by incrementality, I think we'll see some consolidation and advancement in that space uh, and, and hopefully a lot more attention on it than, than, than there is now. I think there's there's still some reticence uh, of adoption, but hopefully with some of those, the continued uh, in a lack of access or reduced access to, to granular data, it's really going to force uh, more and more advertisers to consider solutions like that. Um, so I, I would I would think in a year that's, that's where we'll be in and uh, I hope I hope that's where we'll be. I hope we're not talking about some crazy 
probabilistic conversion modeling stuff because I don't think I think there's a lot of misaligned incentives to doing that. <laughs> Great answer. Well, you are on the front lines of this uh, this battle, if you will, and uh, loved our conversation today. Andrew, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Matt. This has been super exciting. Glad uh, glad to be on and uh, appreciate you having me.